Warning, the following audio transmission is based on theory and is intended for entertainment purposes only. It's Doomsday and its affiliates will not be held liable for anything your dumbass does. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome everybody to It's Doomsday Podcast. We are back with part two of our interview with Dr. Alton. So here we go, guys. We're going to jump right into this. Okay, so Dr. Alton, I'd like to kind of get into some of these different scenarios that you cover um, within these books. And I've got a, I've got a list of them here. Um, and I don't know if you want to start with the extreme ones or if you want to start with the simple ones and work up. Which, what would you prefer? <laughs> well... Well, what we can talk about? Uh, how about uh, bleeding? Okay, yeah. Talk about that. Yeah, is so, that one of the things you want to talk about? Well, yeah. So that would fall under uh, how to treat gunshots and knife wounds. I, I would okay. assume. Yeah. So let's yeah, let's start. So first off, for anybody out there that doesn't know, bleeding kind of takes priority over everything, right? You're going to want to stop that bleeding. You need blood in your body to survive. So this is probably one of the biggest things that people are going to need to know is how to stop the hemorrhaging, how to stop bleeding. Um, so Dr. Alton, tell me what you know. All right. Well, this is the basic thing. You need to have some, some basic materials. And uh, we also design an entire line of uh, quality medical kits over at uh, doomandbloom.net. And you would be very, very well served by having something like that available. Now, the, first, the thing is, is the first thing that you'd like to do, that we'd like you to do, is put on gloves because, of course, you can introduce uh, infection or have int- infection introduced on you. So put on gloves if you've got them. If you don't have them, immediately start with direct pressure. There are a lot of wounds, that venous bleeding wounds, that are, can be dealt with by simple direct pressure. But, but if it's arterial, if you see blood spurting out in, in a way that uh, uh, mimics the pulse of a person, you've got an arterial vessel that's going on. And what you need to do then is you need to immediately put on a tourniquet. Matter of fact, the Committee on Tactical uh, Combat Casualty Care says that that should be your first course of action if it's obvious that the bleeding is heavy. And so that is what I also suggest uh, in, in articles in our books, that that... You always have a tourniquet available, and that it is the first thing you do if you're really if you know you're dealing with some severe bleeding, and you want to, of course, be able to expose the bleeding the the area to make sure that you know where people are bleeding because you know a, a gunshot wound is going to have an entry wound. It could just as easily have an exit wound, and the exit wound may not be where you think. If I approached you, Jester, and you're you're armed, I approach you bent over, crouched over, and uh, heading towards you with, I don't know, a spear or something like that, and you shoot me in the 
uh, you shoot me in the collarbone area, okay, or in, in the trapezius muscle area up here, I my entry my exit wound might be out my buttocks. Right. So, so there's also you have to look all around as as fast as you can while continuing to try to uh, control the bleeding. You try to make sure you get a handle on where the bleeding is because the bleeding could be coming more from the exit wound than the entry wound since there's off, they're oftentimes larger. So that's something. So, so you want to use... Go ahead. Two things I'd like to throw out real quick is it's funny that you bring up the, the entry wound and the exit wound because like right now as an EMT, we're not allowed to document and say entrance wound, exit wound. We just say there was a hole here, there was a hole there. We're not allowed to put that in there anymore because it's so unpredictable. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to throw in here too, and this is something we just covered in class, was different uh, types of clothing like Gore-Tex or spandex or something to this nature can actually prevent blood from exiting the clothing. So, you know, doing this full body scan, doing this full body check for, you know, the exit wounds or different areas of bleed are very important because you might get that tourniquet on one area not realizing they're bleeding out from somewhere else. You're absolutely right. Now, if if the bleeding's in an extremity, you can apply it you know, one of the typical limb tourniquets, like the cat tourniquet, the uh, swap tourniquet, the soft tee, uh, if bleeding is a big issue. So you want to use that immediately. You And if that fails to stop the bleeding, number one, the likelihood is, is that because you're worried that you're hurting the person, you're, you're not putting it tight enough. So that's number one. Right. You have you to know, hurt people to you, save you, them. If it doesn't hurt... <laughs> You're doing it wrong. Right. Tons of pressure to the point where they're screaming. <laughs> right. If, if they're still bleeding, then you put a second tourniquet on, uh, on a couple inches higher up. Or if you don't know where the bleeding is for sure, then I want you to place the tourniquet high and tight. And when I mean high and tight, I mean way up there, uh, you know, at the top of the leg, way, way up by the armpit if it's, if it's in the arm. So high and tight is the way, way it goes. Now, if you are in a situation where there have been a gunshot wound and you are not sure that the threat has been abolished, okay, ordinarily I tell people to get out your bandage scissors from uh, your bleeding kit and, you know, and, and cut through the clothing. But if, if you're under fire, forget about that. You put everything over the clothing. And not a lot of people know that that's, that's the appropriate way to do it uh, with the medic under fire. Do you have enough food in your pantry for when disaster strikes? Go to www.readywise.com and utilize code DOOM10 for 10% off your entire food order. ReadyWise offers long-term food storage items such as chicken and beef that last up to 15 years. But that's not all. Go to www.readywise.com and use our code DOOM10 for 10% off of organic food as well. Offering chili, pasta, and soups, they have you covered. Did we mention they have fruits? Bananas, blueberries, strawberries, and apples, just to name a few. With many more food options for your home, car, or bug-out bag, ReadyWise has your six. Go to www.readywise.com now and utilize code DOOM10 for 10% off. So... You, of course, now, another thing that I'd want people to have besides tourniquet is I want them to have some hemostatic gauze. Now, this stuff is not cheap, but it will indeed 
stop bleeding, even arterial bleeding, if you apply, place it, pack it in, apply pressure for a good three minutes. Now, I'll tell you a story that uh, one of the uh, uh, one of the uh, Navy uh, buyers for uh, some of these medical supplies uh, told me, and that he took some of this Sealox, uh, which is a, 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 a Kaizen uh, type of uh, blood clotter, and what they did, they did they did a, a test, and what they did is they shot. With, uh, I forget I forget the round, but they, they shot the femoral artery of a pig. They strung up a pig, shot the femoral artery, and then they applied the the, the uh, dressing, the kaidazan dressing. Applied it for three minutes, stopped the bleeding. Then they shot the other femoral artery, took out the dressing from the first place. They put it in the second place and stopped the bleeding too. So it, this is if you if you have a real serious bleed then you need to have some of these uh, hemostatic dressings in your uh, in, in your supplies. And Quick Clot is one. Uh, Kaida uh, Sam is one by, made by the guys that make the Sam splints. Sealox uh, is another. That's a British made company. A British company makes that. Uh, and there are a number of other brands nowadays. That but these are the types. The Kaidazan and the uh, Kaolin, which is what's in Quick Clot. Are the ones that are approved by the committee on uh, tactical combat casualty care, and so you want to apply that directly on the blood vessel. And if uh, th this is important, if you would put plain dressings first, a plain bandages first, I want you to take those out and then apply the the hemostatic dressing directly on where the bleeding goes. It has to go directly where the bleeding goes. And that's usually if it's a if it's a big wound, but it's close, probably coming from the part of it that's closest to the torso. So that's where I want that to go. Now, if you don't have uh, blood clotting dressings, then what I want you to do is just continue to pack and don't take that old dressing out. I want you to just continue to pack these non-clotting dressings one on top of another into that wound. Right, because I mean, you know, back in the day before, you know, the bleed stop powders and in these different um, bandages and dressings, they would always teach, you know, keep applying, don't take it off, keep applying, keep applying, because it's, uh, refresh my memory on this, it's the hemoglobin hemoglobin in your blood that creates the clotting properties, right? Right, well, it's the hemoglobin, but it also forms a, a protein called fibrin, and the fibrin forms a mesh, which uh, uh, begins the clotting process. Okay, yeah, so uh, back in the day, they would teach you just keep adding bandages, it'll clot on, you'll clot on your own, but the, the big thing people are not thinking about nowadays is that there's a lot of people that are on medications that prevent clotting, right? So yes. if, if you're on, say like an, you know, a, a blood thinner or something like this, or something that prevents blood clots, this person, it's going to be a lot harder to stop their bleeding. So that's where some of these would really come in handy. And I have to ask, what's your opinion on the bleed stop powders, the ones you actually, you know, open up and pour into the wound? Well, I think that the, the, the current ones that are being used for, for these problems, uh, for these situations, usually are powder or granule impregnated gauze. And so it's, it's gauze and it's, and it's something that is probably better uh, to use these days than what they used to use in the past. Okay, I understand. So, so guys, just to shorten and wrap that up, bleeding is very important. There's a lot of tools out there. I guess they got to get the book, right? You got to get the book. 
<laughs> well, I'll tell you, it's, we do we do have a lot of step by step by step instructions of how to deal with a lot of different things. We we talk about how to even uh, do tracheostomies step by step, how to even do a, an amputation if you had to. Now, I mean, I'm telling you these things because I wanted to make sure that I was complete in terms of giving you instructions on what to do. That doesn't mean that I think that there's going to be that, that the people that you're going to do trans amputations on are going to have a great percentage uh, survival rate, but it, may, it will be more than zero percent. You know, something that's uh, not on the list to ask you, but I got to ask anyway, just because we talk about survival, things like that. One thing we've been covering in class, and they kind of keep giving us the roundabout for treatment, is venomous bites. Things from, you know, venomous snakes, venomous spiders. Are these covered in the book? And if so, is there a good method of treatment? I know for a lot of these things, everybody thinks, oh, they, they administer anti-venom. But I know typically in an ER setting, they're giving you blood pressure meds and, you know, ibuprofen, things like that. So survival scenario, rattlesnake bite, what, you know, treatment options. Fire is one of the most basic essentials for survival. Whether you're camping, hiking, or preparing for disaster, Blackbeard has your six. Go to www.blackbeardfire.com and utilize code DOOMSDAY for 10% off your entire purchase. Blackbeard offers stormproof matches, plasma arc lighters, fire starters, and ferro rods, all of which are great for your bug out bag. Once again, go to www.blackbeardfire.com and utilize code DOOMSDAY for 10% off your entire purchase. Well, rattlesnake bite, basically the, the thing that you, you need to know is that about 30% of rattlesnake bites and other pit viper bites are going to be dry. And that means that they're not going to have venom in it. So uh, you, you're not always necessarily going to experience uh, an envenomation if you're bitten by a rattlesnake. Now, if you do, symptoms are going to be begin very soon after the event. About 35% are mild reactions, maybe 25%. Moderate, 10 to 15% are severe. And those are the ones that you'd want to give antivenom for. Believe it or not, you probably would do okay over the course of time if there was no antivenom available for the mild and the moderate reactions. So that's something that I think is, is important. Uh, now, if you, if you, now, if you're going to have an, a venom in there, it's going to be pretty apparent probably within maybe five uh, minutes or so, there's going to be burning in that area. If, if it's a pit viper. So that's something that the, that you have to realize that it depends on the species of snake a little bit, how much venom was in injected, the age of the victim. That's important. The oh, elderly yeah. and the elderly and the very young people are the most at risk of having problems. You know, you're going to see things like uh, uh, burning pain, but there you the pit vipers are hemotoxic. So they're going to cause some bleeding. So bruising, you'll see bruising on the skin. You'll see swelling may affect the entire limb. Uh, some, there may be, blisters that are blood blood filled these are some of the things that you would actually see now these are, are circumstances where you probably will just want to have people off their feet you want everybody's a little different as to where 
they recommend that you put the the limb, whether it should be at the level of the heart, below the level of the heart. Uh, in some circumstances, uh, people say above the level of the heart. Believe it or not, there's actually controversy with regards to that. But I say at the level of the heart or below the level of the heart. That's what the Merck manual says, and uh, that's what uh, a number of other uh, pretty authoritative sources say that you should be doing with regards to that. And usually it will, people will get better on their own as long as they're not moving much you don't want you don't want them to do a lot of movement because that will increase the speed of the circulation of the toxin into the system okay yeah because I, I know that's like a big thing is preventing this venom from moving through the body and i know everybody thought back in the day you'd, you'd tie it off you'd put a tourniquet on now we're learning no no definitely not you don't do want to do not that. use a tourniquet absolutely <laughs> not and i really don't even want you to to use a base wrap on on it or at least certainly not with any any type of pressure so these these are the things that in most cases you're a young healthy person you're going to survive this envenomation right and then there's also the big myth about sucking out the venom yeah, um, don't, don't, don't do, do that, that. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that and and i also have to there's a myth about um this item called the sawyer extractor too you know that the sawyer extractor is 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 a item that was meant to be in every medical kit had one uh, back uh, a, a few decades ago, but they found that that by the time you actually get the Sawyer extractor out of your pack and put it on the wound and ac actually start using it, that the grand majority, probably 90 something percent of the venom has already gotten into the bloodstream. Right. Yeah. That's so it's, it's amazing. So how you brought up, there was like some controversy with some stuff, guys. There's a ton of controversy in the medical field. They're always going back and forth. Uh, right now, my instructors are telling me they want to see C-collars done away with because they don't feel that they're doing any good for anybody. And I got I to gotta tell you, I had one of these things put on me in training. It hyperextends your neck so much, I feel like you would do more damage to a patient applying this. Right, especially if they've had if they've had uh, an injury to the C spine, you really it's really hard to uh, it's really hard to to justify the use of of some of these at least in the hands of people that are that, that don't have a great deal of experience with them. And also, uh, if you are a medic under fire, and you know I write a lot about this stuff, you know people, you know uh, medics in hostile action. Matter of fact, uh, I just put up uh, an article on it on the website doomandbloom.net. Um, you actually do do not do in the field, or at least in in a hostile situation, you do not worry about spine or C spine because the reason that they're that your men are going to bleed are going to die is they're going to bleed out. Right. Yeah. I guess typically people don't bleed out from a broken neck or a C-spine injury. Right. And <laughs> and so if somebody has a broken neck, there, you, there may not be much you can do for them. Anyhow, it depends on the situation, of course. And certainly in the situations that I read about, that I write about, where, in other words, where there is no hospital that this guy is going to, there's no TACAVAC, no medevac, uh, you know, it's, it's you from beginning to end you know, determining whether this person will survive or not. If you're dealing with somebody with a broken neck with limited supplies and uh, your base camp is, you know, is a tent, hospital tent, 
no, you know, that person is probably not going to make it. And, and this is the sad thing is that it's re reality of some of this stuff is, you know, is, is sad. You know, in other words, if you get a chest, if somebody shoots you in the chest or shoots one of your people in the chest, that person has got about a 70% chance they're going to die. If somebody gets shot in the stomach, it's going to be about 60 something percent, you know, and unless you can get in there and, you know, and do an open, open up the belly and, and start sewing things together and you're not going to be able to do that before the person bleeds out. Right. And, you know, just for everybody out there, I mean, everybody that listens to the show is a prepper. You guys do understand as much as you do prepare, certain situations are just unmanageable, right? And, right. you know, the idea of preparing, the idea of having this knowledge is to increase your chances of survival, not guarantee them. Are you looking for something kick-ass to add to your closet? Reaper has the hookup for t-shirts, hoodies, button-ups, hats, beanies, and plenty of other badass products. You can check out Reaper Apparel Company at www.reaperapparelco.com and use code DOOM10 for 10% off. Jester only stands behind brands he believes in, and Dan at Reaper Apparel has a mission, and Jester is on board. Go check out www.reaperapparelco.com today and use code DOOM10 for 10% off your entire order. Why be a sheep when you can reap? Use code DOOM10 for 10% off at www.reaperapparelco.com today. Yeah, that's that's basically it. The basically... I follow that old saying uh, of Teddy Roosevelt. And that saying goes, do what you can with what you have where you are. And that's what I'm doing is I'm basically giving, telling you what you should have, telling you what you should do so that you can do what you can and you have to do it where you are. In other words, in a non-hospital setting. And so the entire book is like that. And that's different from a lot of other books. There's some, there are a lot of great first aid books, but of course they always tell you at the end of the uh, uh, chapter, uh, go to the hospital or go see the doctor. And even even books like Where There Is No Doctor actually end a lot of their chapters like that. But in our book, between the first page, the cover page, and the, the back cover page, you'll never see me say that because the entire book assumes they no longer exist. I, I totally 100% understand because like that's that's the big reason to prepare because the, these services aren't going to be available. There's not going to be an emergency room to go to. <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. You're the emergency room. You are the emergency room, Jester. And so the fact that you're the fact that you're actually do, undergoing some medical training now basically makes you worth your weight in gold. I would, I would like to think so. So, Doctor Alton, I got two more, I got two more things I'd like to bring up before we run out of time here. So, number one is for anybody that has no medical knowledge and they're just about to get into this and get started, what would you suggest? Like, what would their jump off point be? Want to be a guest on the show? Email it's doomsdaypodcast at gmail dot com. That's it's doomsdaypodcast at gmail dot com. Of my book, <laughs> our book, <laughs> our book. Basically, I mean, I tell you from soup to nuts. I tell you, I, I, I hate to, you know, you're, you're. That's a loaded question because you're putting me right, right to where, 
I want to answer this question saying it's my book because it's true. It's all in plain English. If you read it at a fifth grade level, you'll still understand everything that is in this book. I mean, I will talk about how to do a physical exam, how to do vital signs, how to take a blood pressure, you know, uh, hell, I'll tell you everything from uh, hemorrhoids to hepatitis. I'll tell you everything from uh, uh, allergies to amputations, and, and it will all be in English that you will understand. And I'll also tell you, Nurse Amy uh, basically tells you a lot about how to take care of a nursing, how to nurse a person back to health once they've gotten the injury and once you've done your 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 first aid for it. I mean, remember, the difference is, is that you're no longer being able to just stabilize the patient and transport them to the next highest resource. You are the highest resource. So if somebody breaks a leg, you got to take care of that injury from beginning to end. But absolutely from beginning to end, that person is going to be seeing you. You're going to determine whether you're going to put a cast on, which you, you can buy those materials too, whether it, whether you should just need a splint, whether how they're how they're going to function in terms of while they're healing and whether they heal at all in the end is going to determine be determined by you and you're doing it from beginning to end so you know we tell you what supplies you're going to need we tell you all the different things that possibly could happen i even go through we have a huge section on dental issues and i'll tell you something that if if it's a storm that knocks out your power for a week you probably don't need to know much about dental issues uh, in this in survival settings but that problem if, if you're off the grid for six months or more your dental equipment your dental knowledge is going to be as important as your medical knowledge and so we even tell you how, how to extract a tooth what to do with a tooth that's been knocked out you know with a, with a broken tooth we really go through everything and we tell you the exact materials that you need and we actually produce a lot of these materials ourselves uh, in at, at our store at doomandbloom.net. But, you know, you can get these materials anywhere if you can find it, although some of our kits are one of a kind. Now, Dr. Alton, one more time before we're out of here, what is the name of the book and where can they find it? The book is called The Survival Medicine Handbook, The Essential Guide for When Help is Not on the Way. It is in its fourth edition. Don't get earlier editions. Uh, you'll still see some, some for sale on, on Amazon. Get this one. This one has been expanded and revised. It is that it used to be a six by nine book. It's now an eight by ten book. That's seven hundred pages, and it's got so much material in there that you can spend a year probably going through it uh, and absorbing uh, a lot of knowledge. And once you do that, you'll know what materials you need. You'll know what other kinds of items uh, would be useful. Just uh, you'll know what to do in natural disasters to decrease your chances to increase your chances of surviving them and we just go through an awful lot of stuff you, you will not be sorry Action message. At approximately 1 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Nora is tracking 15 ICBM nuclear missiles inbound to the following cities Orlando, Miami, Pittsburgh, Dover, 
Newark, Richmond, Philadelphia, New York City, Baltimore, Los Angeles, Las Vegas, Boston, Seattle, Detroit. This is an extremely deadly situation. Stay tuned, the next emergency message will be a presidential address.